0: everyone, and welcome. This is episode 274 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Ryan, and Paul is back this week after
1: traveling around the world last week. So good to see (laughs) you back. How are you doing? Uh, I am glad to be back. It was the second consecutive Minnesota trip where a child was vomiting in my hotel room at some point. So Uh, um, very glad to be back home and not having that happen yet again. Kids seem to throw up a lot based on your Mine stories. especially throw up a lot. One of them gets motion sick in cars, but this was food poisoning. We know exactly what the culprit was because two people were impacted and they ate the same food. Nobody else was. and Nobody else ate it. So uh, it can okay. be can be avoided in the future. But uh, I don't know how good I'm going to be on this podcast. I've just been watching Darnell Washington highlights for four straight days and uh, have not been paying attention to baseball. That is all that I want to do. Just dreaming of
0: him in green and gold and, and, you know, just daydreaming about the future with him.
1: He, You seem to like him a bit. Yes. He's, he, uh, I liked him before the, before the combine. Um, I thought he would be a good, like, uh, not role player, but, um, inline tight end, good Mercedes replacement. And then, like, I thought there was like a 10% chance that he would blow the combine away with athleticism and he did. Um, he is like, his comps are like Gronkowski, a uh, kind of young Mercedes, but he's a little bit better and a little bit bigger. Um, and, uh, he plays. Uh, he plays with another good tight end in college, Brock Bowers, who's probably going to be the top tight end taken next year. And so, didn't get quite as many opportunities as he maybe should have. But uh, like that guy's insane. He is the giantest person in the world. And so, so here's the craziest part about it. So he's six seven and two hundred and sixty four pounds. What? That is a, at, large, that's a large. That's a large human. Yes. At the combine, he ran the same three cone time that Cooper Cup ran. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my God. So that's the kind of short space agility. I mean, he was also very fast, um, straight line as well. But his short like space agility for a guy that size was like off the charts, incredible, amazing. Um, during throwing drills, he made this like insane one handed catch where it looked like he was catching a like a Pepsi can in his hand. Like he. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's the only tight end in this draft who actually had a yards per completion that my stats actually appreciate as maybe you're good. Uh, Luke Busgrave did too, but he only had like 11 catches all year, so he doesn't count. Um, anyway, they, they need to draft that guy. That guy will be awesome in that offense. Uh, it's a perfect fit. I
0: am uh, much awaiting your your draft, I, I guess, preview, analysis, anything you do on reporting as eligible, uh, because, <laughs> hey, we could use some good news in the Packer land, so yes, uh, yes, definitely can. appreciate that. All right, uh Brewers also had their first full week of spring training games. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But first, before we get going here, a reminder as always, you can become a patron over at patreon.com/slash mke tailgate. That gets you at the two bucks a month level, uh, question priority, both on this podcast and on his reporting as eligible. Five bucks a month gets you question priority plus some additional exclusive content, including the Minor League Extra with Ryan and James Anderson of RotoWire. And uh Ryan, you guys uh had an episode come out in the last week. What, what did you have
2: out there? So we did our 2023 top tens. So they're now out there. Uh, we were more similar this time, I think, than we had been in the past, but there were still some, some notable differences there. I'm still much higher on Terang than he is. So that, that, (laughs) uh, we're just about done having that conversation. Fortunately, I think we should be able to put that one to bed within a a couple months here. so. So yeah, but, uh, uh, we did our top tens and then took a few questions and had a good discussion. So uh, definitely check that out if you are so inclined. $5 a month at the Ball and Glove level gets you access to that and all of Paul's stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely worth it. So go, be sure to check that out. Again, uh, patreon.com slash mketailgate. All right, so as I mentioned, first full week of uh, games this week for the Brewers, but I guess the most impactful news and the thing that we should probably address uh, first is the announcement by Craig Council that Tyrone Taylor is going to miss at least the first month of the season. Uh, We know he's been dealing with that sprained elbow injury Uh, For a while, hasn't even really been able to get going here in spring training. I know there were some murmurings ahead of time. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking maybe missing a month or two, but what does that mean in the context of spring training and getting ramped up? Now we have a little bit more. Clarity, unfortunately, sounds like the rehab not going super well. So he had that elbow injected with platelet-rich plasma uh, as a way to try to rehab that elbow. He'll be kept away from baseball activities for at least three weeks. And, you know, that pretty much takes us through the end of spring training. So not going to be ready for the start of the year. And uh, he'll probably have to be playing catch up. Uh, you know, extended spring, that kind of thing for most of April. So I guess with that in mind, we'll jump right into the Patreon questions. First one this week comes from Jay Google asking about Tyrone Taylor's injury, saying, are we looking at guys like Naquin or guys like uh, Sal Fralick and Joey Weimer to step right in to take that spot on the roster? I guess, Ryan, let's start with you. Um, You know, we talked about uh, the Naquin signing uh, a week or two ago. I lose track of time in spring training, Uh, but we talked about it and talked about him kind of as insurance for Garrett Mitchell. But, you know, he can play the corners. And and this is the kind of thing, too, that maybe he was brought in for. Right.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, Naquin is probably the best bet here. Uh, for a number of reasons. I know that James Anderson mentioned on the pod this week that he'd like to see Sal like, open with the team, uh, thinks that it would be appropriate for him to do that. But there is the that always question of, you know, you can get the extra year of service out of him if you keep him down, you know, 15 days, basically, uh, is what it amounts to. So if you keep him down a couple weeks, you get that extra year out of him. But that is now offset by this most you know, recent rule change where if a guy does uh, get uh, rookie of the year, or I think top three of rookie of the year, or top it's top winning rookie of the year and top three of the uh, of the MVP at some point in the control years, um, you could potentially get a draft pick. Basically, yep. if the player <laughs> comes up right away and is up to start a season, so and we we talked about that on there in terms of Jackson Churio, why we thought. You know, it made sense for them to potentially uh, keep him down um, this year long enough that even if he's he's doing really well, you'd want to leave him as rookie of the year eligible for next year, so he could potentially win you that uh, that prize at the end of next year. But that's that's a whole other issue. But yeah, I think I I think Freilich probably goes down, and we don't see him until late April at the earliest mid to late April at the earliest once you get past that point, but there's, there's a chance he is, he is doing well in, in spring training so far. Uh, Freilich is hitting, uh, 400, um, with a 500 slugging. So he's, he has a double to his name, basically, um, (laughs) small sample theater, you know, is what it is. But yeah, I think there's a chance there. Uh, Weimer. no, it it won't be Weimer. I think. Yeah. Agreed. I think you're mostly looking at Naquin here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. It'll be Naquin, and uh, for all the reasons that you cited, a, a good chance to reflect on how kind of silly that rule is. That's, uh, um, you know, it, it it'll pay off. Somebody will be rookie of the year. Somebody will win a draft pick. But the guy that we're talking about is Churio, who is our best prospect in a long, long time, um, and you know, it's very infrequent that you have a guy that you can sort of project to be, in the rookie of the year competition on a year to year basis and the brewers are not going to project that self relic will be even you could maybe but that's not going to be something that they're going to rely on when making this decision at all not one iota um so they'll probably keep him down to work on his defense as teams always do <laughs> and uh after a couple of weeks pass then uh, he'll be in play but that, that's that's what's going to happen that has not changed diddly squat for the team
2: Yeah, there is a weird wrinkle in that rule now, too, for players, where if Sal Freilich were to be held down, say, those 15 days, so technically gaining or losing a, a year of service this year, right? So the Brewers would pick up an extra year of service on him by keeping him down those 15 days. If he finishes, I believe it's top three in the rookie of the year voting, he actually gets a full service year the Brewers wouldn't be eligible for the pick because they didn't keep him on the roster from the beginning of the year, which is part of the requirement of doing it. But he would actually get a full year of service. Uh, um, players who uh, finished top three this year, I believe, ended up with a full year of service.
1: That's good and fair. It is, also it yes. will not impact anybody's actions at all.
2: You wouldn't think so, no. But yeah. it does seem that the the potential of winning a draft pitch, which the... Uh, uh, the Mariners absolutely did for uh, having um, for having Julio Rodriguez on their roster from the beginning of the year, and the Braves did not because they ended up with Michael Harris and winning, and that was because so Harris did not start the year with the Braves; he was called up shortly after the beginning of the year. So the Braves actually were rooting for, and this is a weird wrinkle in the rule. They were rooting for their other Rookie of the Year candidate. Um, For Spencer Strider to win rookie of the year because he was on the opening day (laughs) roster and that would have allowed them to (laughs) uh, to get the extra pick there. Yep. So and and the the Harris thing wasn't service time manipulation at all. It was nobody even thought he was ready when he got called up. He was called up so far ahead of schedule. Nobody even really thought he was ready and he ended up winning rookie of the year. So that wasn't about service time manipulation. That was just one of those freak things that happens. Yep. So. It's, it's definitely interesting, but yeah, I, it, what do you think? I mean, how good would Sal Freilich have to be at Sal Freilich things? So mm-hmm. batting average, getting on base, not striking out, stealing bases, because he's not going to hit for a ton of power. How good would he have to be for him to win rookie of the year?
1: Oh, easy answer. He needs to be Scott Pesednik That's, <laughs> or Pat Lestash. Like we have, yeah. we have the archetype for this rookie of the year. On the Brewers several times over <laughs> and that's what he needs to do he needs to hit over 300 and steal like 65 70 bases or not that money but you know a ton mm-hmm. he needs to be near the league leaders
2: that's fair so yeah I, and that's not likely but I guess within the realm of possibility that it could happen so yep. maybe they should think about that and consider that in their yeah their Screw decision you, making Well, the thing about it, too, is if you do decide to put Freilich on the opening day roster and he's not ready and you decide that he needs to be demoted, that's the other way of picking up those extra service days and ending up extending him out the year. So having him make the opening day roster sort of at least defers that decision down the road a little bit. Because once yep. you don't have him on the opening day roster, you lose the potential of that pick.
1: Right. It's a whole other little issue of service time manipulation that's been introduced into the game. It
2: has. <laughs> but in fairness to everybody involved with this, it, the current system is better than the old system. There are more ways for players to get what they deserve under this current system than under the old system. It's just not perfect.
0: Right, between that and the extra bonus pool of money for pre-arb guys and all that stuff too, mm-hmm. they they got a bit better of a deal. But mm-hmm. front offices are always going to find ways to find the loopholes, right? Like, yep. they've got entire teams of people finding those.
1: They've gotten really good at um, at making the player wins like contests. Like, um, they're really good at this little. Uh, office thing of gamification on, uh, you know, you guys get this, one of you wins it when he's happy, when you, t- you talk it up to your teammates, it seems better than it is, like, that's that's what this is, this is a contest, and it's hmm. uh, It's fine. <laughs>
0: all right well on the tyrone taylor topic uh bob peterson asking a similar question here saying actually two questions number one is name the opening day right fielder for the brewers and number two is on the opening day roster will we see Hira Voit both or neither so paul let's start with question number one there do you think it's make in <laughs> right field or uh what what do you see the opening day lineup shaking out it's
1: with? it's a tough guess b- Because the Brewers are um, willing to play people slightly out of position for various reasons, for platoon advantage in an individual game, generate more offense, whatever. So it could be a few people, but I think it will be Naquin. That's what my guess would be for Opening Day. But I'm not going to put money on that. Like I could even see scenarios where they just throw like Winker and Yelich out there together if they feel like it. Uh, That would not be my preferred, but never know, could happen. Um, so I, I I go with Naquin as my money pick. Um, on that with Taylor not on the roster, but yeah, who knows? They're flexible to a fault sometimes, and I. I'm sick of projecting Keston here as future and
0: <laughs> uh, I'm, we kind of did this last week and you were oh, gone. So yeah. we, yeah. we kind of got this question. So what's your take on uh yeah. So like, I, I
1: watched, I watched three innings today and he actually got a hit and looked good doing it and looked fast and all that good stuff. And that's my spring training experience so far. And even Dakota was like, this year is like you know um, we've we've seen what he can do when he actually puts the bat on the ball. He still strikes out way too much, but there are some pathways to being valuable here. So, I I, I just I just don't know. I kind of think he'll make the roster because he always seems to squeak on, and they seem to have an affinity for him. So yes, and then void I. I kind of think yes too, but I don't know where all. the... Like I feel like I'm a Padres guy right now because they also have like a, you know, they're allowed to have the 47 man roster or whatever it is right now, and everybody <laughs> else has 40. Um, I guess I'm gonna bet on both, but I don't know who's gonna who I'm gonna kick off for that. So I'll I'll punt that decision down the down the road. But I think they're both gonna make it um, somehow, <laughs> one way or another.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be difficult because you're gonna need to have backup middle infield as well. Yeah, yeah. And Owen Miller is, like, hitting the crap out of the ball this spring. So he is, at least so far, I think, making a case for him being on the opening day roster. That doesn't necessarily mean he makes it. And we still have, like, a month of games to go. So (laughs) there's a long way to go here. But I think that Owen Miller has a case for it. So, But, yeah, the hero thing, we talked about it last. But, yeah, it just... it, it I would have thought he would have been off the team by now, one way or another, and it hasn't happened. So I guess we have to assume that they just really, really like and believe in him. And let's be fair about his season last year. Yes, the strikeout rate was catastrophically bad, but he, despite that, managed to be a productive hitter. One of their more productive hitters in the lineup last year. They just. Couldn't play him that much because it was really hard to find places to get him on the field. But, yeah, I I don't see a way to get him and Voight both on the roster unless, like, Rowdy's hurt. And by the way, Paul, they did say that uh, Winker is going to be a DH to open the season. They're not going to play him in the outfield any. Look, they they can
1: say whatever they want to say, but (laughs) um, they played Keston in left field the other day. And if they need to do something for a reason, they'll do it.
2: Yeah, the thing with Winker, they've basically just been like, health-wise, they want to be careful. And that's make sure good. That he's going to be healthy. So he also sucks horribly out there. So that's also fine. But, yeah, that's the other thing is he has a history of being not very good. So in the in the outfield anyway. So, like I
1: would have, I would have been totally like they're not going to do it. But now an outfielder is hurt, and that always is a button you push for versatility when things like that happen. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, and by the way, I believe the Cubs' first two starters are going to be Jameson Tyen and uh, Marcus Stroman, right-handers. So I would say Naquin as the opening day right fielder would be a pretty solid bet.
0: Sure. I think going forward, Ryan, you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about the Brian Anderson signing, but also not unlikely to see him out in right field Mm -hmm. uh, from time to time. But it it does kind of seem like maybe they're leaning towards Anderson at third and where he is at second to start the year. Mm -hmm. So that might... Uh, take that out of the equation as well as the platoon stuff. So
2: yeah. And if you're going to sneak here onto the roster, it's going to be really hard to have like Mike Brousseau also on the roster. So right. Exactly. I think
1: Mike Brousseau is like my kind of, I wonder if we've been over, not overrating him, but overthinking the security of him being on the roster. I I could see scenarios where he's just sent packing at the end of the day, because You know, he's he's hit well in small sample size, but he's just a guy. And if they have people that they like a little better, he's an easy off the
2: team. Yeah. And you can he has options so he can be sent down. And so you don't have to kick him off the team. And as we've been stressing throughout this whole process, the spring, it really is all about options. So it really does come down to that in large part. And if you have an option, there's a much, much greater chance if you are on the bubble you're very likely to be sent down as opposed to, you know, somebody like hero who doesn't have options left. Right.
0: Right. And as we talked about too, with Luke Voigt, uh, he's on a minor league contract. So it's not like you have to keep him on the opening day roster right away. You could send him down to start the year and then bring him up before Mm -hmm. whatever opt out date he has. And, you know, that seems like a a way to go too if you're desperate, to find a spot for Keston Hira, and then you wait for somebody else to get hurt to bring Void up. All right, moving on, we have Brian Polakowski with another pair of questions asking uh, a bit about the, the Brewers' power surge to start the year. Y- you know, it, it was something we, we talked about last week when Garrett Mitchell went deep twice in the Brewers' first home or first uh, spring training game, and it's kind of continued. So uh, Brian says, as of Saturday evening, the Brewers' 19th spring Training home runs are good for second most behind the Tigers 20. Meanwhile, the Cubs are worse with only three. Two home run related questions here. Number one, (laughs) uh, despite the small sample size, everybody drink. Is there any data on how bouncy the ball is so far this year? And number two, understanding that pitchers are rarely a full go in spring. uh, But how does American Family Fields of Phoenix profile as a hitter versus pitchers (laughs) park? I just kind of assume all spring training parks are just Mm -hmm. and boxes and in hitters havens paul but i don't know in arizona
1: arizona especially yes they are all hitters parks uh it's it's thin air dry air Uh, florida's a little different uh florida has a more variety in size of fields and the weather is not it's hot but it's you know if you've ever been out in florida in the summer the air just feels heavy and it is so it's a different animal, but yeah, everything's a hitter's park here. I think this is mostly just noise. I did look for any early uh, any writings on the the bouncy ball being back so far this year. There's not really yet. Um, uh, both uh, Meredith, I forget her last name, astrophysics. Meredith uh, Wills. On, Meredith Wills on uh, she she has a couple of posts up, but they're about the World Baseball Classic ball, um, not not the uh, spring training ball, um, and that appears to be bouncy w- for what it's worth, which is not very much. Um, and Rob Arthur hasn't written anything yet, and um, I think it's a little too early. And uh, if I, this is this is mostly just noise, spring training hasn't been going on that long. Uh, it's not surprising the Brewers would hit a lot of home runs. They have uh, quite a bit of you know power, especially. Um, medium to strong power hitting off of less than good pitching in, in a, a bandbox, And the Cubs are just, I think, more likely to be a little snake bitten unlucky. Uh, this is, I think, what you kind of expect out of the Brewers. But we, we don't know yet. Uh, you know, we usually get ball data after like two weeks into the season, after people can do the frame-by-frame analysis with all the good tools that we have available for watching actual Major League games. But nothing yet. Probably noise. But, but worth noting, nice
2: to see the Brewers leading in home runs and crushing baseballs. Yeah, Hedbert has one. So that was a thing. Yeah. We brought him up on nice. this week's, uh, the minor league, uh, extra episode because <laughs> he has kind of fallen off the radar to a large degree. And so that was interesting. Also, somebody named Cam Devaney has, uh, um home run and <laughs> Andrew uh, Monasterio also. Has a, That's a great name. Has nice. a home run, yeah. But Rowdy leads with three, and then uh Brian Anderson, Mike Bursow, and Garrett Mitchell each have two, two. Yeah. So uh, and then Yelich a,
0: inside outed one on a first pitch the other day. Of course to, he did. He only
2: opposite hits field. opposite yeah.
1: field home runs. <laughs> Call me when he pulls one.
2: Yeah, you'll, you'll be surprised to know when that uh, bit of information came across in my group chat with Steve and Jay Google, uh, my question was, well, did he pull it?
1: <laughs> I, I no. saw, like, the Twitter MLB.com highlight of it, and it was like, "Yellows showing oppo power, and I, I swore out loud when it came to my, my, <laughs> wife was like, my wife was like, what are you mad about? I was like, oh, Christian Yellow did a home run, but he didn't do it right.
0: <laughs> it wasn't the right kind. Yeah. <laughs> Spring training's for this Paul's training
1: regimen, right? Like, yes, just lock him Again, in. A offer yeah. still available if anybody cares enough to fix your
2: best player. Indicative <laughs> of a sickness that we have here that we're all like, ah, he hit the wrong kind of home run. And yes, yes. it is the wrong kind of home run. <laughs> we can't be happy here. Well, no. the thing is, usually opposite field power is a good thing and indicative that the hitter is not like limited and has the ability to go to all fields hitting the ball hard, that is generally a good thing.
1: Yeah, but it's not the thing you want to have your whole offensive game based around. Right, it's that's usually, the problem: is that Yelich can't it's do the a part... bonus on
2: normal power hitting. <laughs> yeah, Yelich isn't doing the easy part. the The pull power part is what power hitters are supposed to be able to do relatively easily. He's not doing that part of it. Everything's going the opposite field. So yeah, whatever. It's you know spring training. Try not to read too much into it. But yeah, <laughs> I would like to see him just mash one to uh to write about you know 440 feet
1: i i can't believe like if you're on the brewers coaching staff and you just see yellow doing this all the time and never pulling it with power uh, don't you get mad at him like don't, you should be like hey here's here's a slow ball like crush this to the to, 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 like pull this ball right now do it and just make him do like why has nobody done this it's very irritating <laughs> it's clearly a problem
2: yeah, I don't, know. I, I don't, I don't know. know. It it is something with the swing that, I mean, we've we've looked at it, we've identified it. Like it is clearly a an issue with the swing where yes. he is not pulling the ball for power like he used to.
0: Still time to strap that uh, knee brace on and get him in the in the batting cage. <laughs> get him Paul. in the cage.
2: Yep. <laughs> Paul's clockwork orange style. Yes. It cha. won't even
1: hurt. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I don't want. It, right. like Yeah. Whatever. Okay. <laughs>
0: I guess uh, going from uh, the hitting to the pitching, Mark Podscarby has a question here about the bullpen, uh, asking, why does it seem like Peter Strzlecki is considered a lock for the bullpen, but Jake Cousins isn't? Both have good numbers in the majors, in comparable inning totals, and both have options remaining, so I'm not sure why the narrative around the two is so different. Um, It's something that we kind of picked up last year, too. Obviously, Jake Cousins uh, had injury concerns and stuff, Mm -hmm. but once... Once Strzelecki hit the majors last year, you know, it was Craig Council and everybody raving about him. So, Ryan, I guess, what is it about him that has him above Jake Cousins in the pecking order?
2: Yeah, it's mostly that Strzelecki was healthy and good last year, and Jake Cousins was hurt. And uh, we really mostly just hurt. We just didn't get to see much of him. And so right now, at this point, everybody is kind of high on Strzelecki and thinks that he has a, a good chance here. And he does. But I I think Cousins gets overlooked a little bit, and that's, I don't know, it's, it's normal, right? For a guy who spent all last year or most of last year hurt, it's standard that you would sort of have that guy in a, well, we need to see it. We need you to prove it sort of yeah. status.
1: I also think Cousins has never been quite as good as his stuff. Um, yeah. He seems like he should be really good. And it's not like he's been bad. He's been a very effective pitcher. But uh, when I first saw the movement on Jake Cousins pitches, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is like a closer in the making, a dominant relief pitcher. And while he is a fine relief pitcher, he's not that. I, I feel like he should be a little better than he is. And I think when you do see that happen, sometimes the finer things are off a little bit, a little attention to detail things, little location things. And, uh, Stralecki seems like also quite good, quite effective, and kind of pitches how he is perceived to pitch. Like, that's what he, he is, what he should be. Cousins isn't. And I think that's part of the problem with
2: him, too. Yeah, I think that's all a 100% fair. I guess he did throw more than I thought last year at uh, AAA. He did get in 22 innings at AAA. I think that was after coming back from the injury that sort of sidelined so him. But yeah, I, I think that Cousins is another guy in this mix for the team for the bullpen. But uh, I think that he's going to have a hard time largely because he has options.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, sticking on the topic of the bullpen, Andrew S is our next Patreon question this week asking, could you please do your best to predict the opening day bullpen? I feel like in previous years, it has been pretty easy to guess, but this year I have no idea who's going to fill it out to start the season. On that note, Tyson Miller has been a pleasant surprise this spring. So uh, the Brewers basically have a a collection of a lot of guys who can throw really, really hard and could fill out a a good bullpen. I guess, Ryan, starting with you again, uh, who's the group in your mind right now?
2: Okay, so I think Paul and I were agreeing on this before you jumped on here. We have four locks and Paul, Devin Williams, Matt Bush, Hobie Milner, Adrian Hauser, right? Yes. Barring an injury, I think those guys are making the roster. And then we both were pretty much on the the page of that. Strzelecki is close to a lock, but you could see because of the flexibility with the, uh, he has the the option. option, So maybe,
1: but I think, I I just think he's legitimately good. And so he'll make it because you need that.
2: Yeah. So that's five of your eight spots right there. Um, the next group, it gets a little bit trickier because we yeah. have four guys who do not have options, and I think Bryce Wilson has looked good enough in camp um, that I think he's as close to a lock from this group as you get. I, I would put him sort of almost in the in a lock too, but he would have to be uh, he would have to be uh, waived out of camp because they don't have he's not uh, he doesn't have any options, so yep. they don't have that ability there. Despite what we saw today, Gus Varland, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think one of the things that you want to look at in these situations is you want to see when guys are pitching Uh, guys that are pitching as close to the front of the game as possible. Uh, those are the guys that they they think more of highly of and are giving more. They want to get better data on them because as teams go through the middle innings in these spring training games, they're making a lot of substitutions. You're seeing a lot more minor leaguers. So they try to get the guys that they really think highly of in early. Today, they had Woodruff go to, then they had Lauer go to, then they had Devin Williams pitch the fifth, and Varland pitched the sixth. And I think that does say something about where they think he is, that they wanted to get him those looks. Now, he gave up a mammoth blast today. Boy, did he. Yeah. Um, And that's part of the deal. Like, that will happen. But I think Varland is... And he is the Rule 5 selection from the Dodgers. uh, So he would have to... If he doesn't make the team, he would have to be offered back to the Dodgers. And they certainly would snap him right back up at that point. So I think that he has... I would say a pretty good chance of making it. Javier Guerra and Joel Piamps, those are a little bit touchier. I I think that I I I don't feel good about I, saying either one of those will or won't make it. Um. So uh, like the way I think Wilson will, and the way that I think Varland is trending that way, the other two I just don't have a good feel for
1: yeah rule five gets viral and probably on unless he continues to pitch like this all spring training long in which case they might happily return him to the dodgers um <laughs> but uh, I, I i agree with all that and it, it it's so early at the at the fringe for the last few guys like it'll come down to who actually is good slash hot for that amount of time and has options of course. Um so, so I, I I pretty much agree with all that. Those are the guys who have inside tracks based on either performance or based on, you know, the structure of how they were acquired <laughs> and uh, everything else is up in the air.
2: Yeah, and then that last group, so the other guys who are on the 40-man and have options, that would include uh, Jake Cousins, uh, who I think is likely to be heading down but could be on the roster relatively quickly. Uh, the aforementioned Tyson Miller, who I will say... Tyson Miller has gotten into five games so far. They're using him a lot. So that tells me that they yep. do really want to see what they have with him. Yeah, they're and, at least
1: interested there.
2: Yeah, and so I think there's a decent chance. But with the option, they don't have to make that decision right away. They can they can say, hey, we're sending you down to AAA, but be ready because you're coming up relatively quickly here. I think both Cousins and Miller, I think, are the most likely guys to make the roster from that group of people that could be optioned down. So they they have the inside track in that sense. The rest of them, Ethan Small, Elvis Baguero, Jansen Junk, Cam Robinson, Abner Uribe, I I would be surprised if any of them made the opening day roster. So I, I think those are decisions for a later day. But we did get news this week that Ethan Small has been converted to the uh, relief for this year at least, or for... to begin this year, that's the way they're going to use him. And the results last year were pretty good when he moved into relief. The the fastball started playing up. The velocity ticked up. And he looked like a better pitcher. And the command doesn't need to be as good in the bullpen, obviously, as it does as a starter. And that will help him because that was one of his issues. His real prime issue was command. so. We will see about that. But I think we're going to see Ethan Small at some point this year. I would just doubt it's going to be out of the shoot. Yep.
0: All right. Moving on, we've got another question from Mark Podscarby asking, is there a reason Bally Sports doesn't televise every spring training game? I would have to think spring training Brewers games outrank whatever their normal daytime TV is. Uh, there's probably a few reasons here, but uh, Ryan, you want to take <laughs> a stab?
2: Well actually I asked Steve about this because he, oh, there he you go. he's in the we business have sources. Yeah. yeah. So I went to and I I asked him I said the answer here is production cost, right? And he yeah. said that I'll just read you verbatim what he wrote me. He said probably most of the games that aren't televised are non ballets RSNs, so they probably look for games that can cover two markets. Um, And he said the early spring training games against the Angels always seem to get picked up and it always seems to be the the Angels broadcast team, which was the case again this week. Um, The biggest thing here, and you probably are aware of this too, James, because you're also in the business. Um, He said that most of the camera and audio crew um, that do Brewers games are local freelancers and they don't travel to Arizona And there can't be that many people available to hire freelance with so many games going on. And I hadn't thought of that, but that does make a lot of sense that like you've got 16 teams training in Arizona. You've got like eight games a day, sometimes more with uh, split squad stuff going on. And to be able to broadcast all those things, that takes a lot of production people, camera people. And those people generally work freelance. And so... You're going to be in a pretty heavy competition for talent, and it probably is a little bit tricky to get all that stuff on the air. So, that would make the production cost go up, right? Like, you're gonna have to pay a bit of a premium to get those people,
0: right? And you just don't have the hands to make those broadcasts go, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, aside from all the camera people, you've got trucks full of. You know, technical directors punching the buttons and producers looking at all the camera angles and all that stuff. It takes like an army to put on a single game and it, it's you know if you've ever seen that stuff behind the scenes it's like really incredible you know it, it blows what what i do every day kind of out of the <laughs> water too right uh and it, it just it is a large large scale operation and there's mm-hmm. just not enough hands to make that work for 30 35 games that frankly don't count right so that's why i would still like to see more you know like webcasts or what just put the overhead camera out and and we'll just put it on in the (laughs) background right like right i still prefer that over the radio broadcasts but you know i think the brewers try to do as good of a job as they can of at least having an option for like audio for every game right so there's something for every game but I, i i do wish there were more it's just there's not that many people and frankly there are fewer people in that business every single day and it doesn't pay that great and that's why so all of those reasons kind of uh work together in that. Yeah, that, that makes case. sense. All right. Uh, next uh, next question comes from Morgoth, and Ryan's favorite, uh, <laughs> asking uh, Max Scherzer's pitch clock manipulation. <laughs> Love it. Hate it. Will the league address this in any way, do you think? Personally, I find it hilarious, but I don't know if that's a good thing in the long run. So I guess background for those who don't know uh, that Max Scherzer, you know, always to to prod the, the powers that be on pitch uh pitch rule changes uh conducted a little experiment in spring training where he basically just held the ball as, as the pitch clock wound all the way down to like seven seconds batter called time he never left his stance and the second the batter stepped in and the clock started he delivered the pitch like literally before the pitch mm-hmm. clock could even start uh he got called for a buck and he said that's bs that shouldn't shouldn't be a buck i was ready i got the green light i threw the pitch yep so i guess paul uh what do you think of that and and how do you think the league will address this i love
1: yeah i love all uh, abuses of the rules uh (laughs) it's what you (laughs) absolutely should do like they made they made the rule and it should be stressed and it should be stressed because um it needs to work and if it's going to turn into a big problem for one side or the other then uh you you need the churches of the world to, to prove that's the case like i i, I will always remember uh, when brett Bielemo was the coach of the badgers yes um, ab- abusing uh, a change they made to the kickoff rule where the clock uh the time that ran off on a kickoff that incurred a penalty uh counted instead of being put back on the clock and Bielema did like four illegal kickoffs in a row against Penn State to run the clock down to zero, where they just all ran offsides 10 yards before the kickoff happened and just crushed the poor Penn State returner. Um, That that, that was a good abuse of, not abuse, that was a good push of that rule to show that it actually needed refinement. And they did in fact change it after that season um, because of that. So um, this is just, it's gamesmanship. It's what you should do when a new rule is introduced. And uh, if it's going to be a problem for hitters to the point where it's actually like impacting offense, then they got to do something about it. But right now uh, he is correct. Max Scherzer is correct. Uh, he he should not have been charged with the buck. He has adhered to the rule properly. And uh, I think everybody will adjust to this. Like hitters can, uh, can get back in ready to go. You can practice. Uh, maybe you can't practice that. Maybe Ryan Braun does need to adjust his gloves 8 million times to hit. Who knows? But uh <laughs> But this is fine, and it should happen, and it's good because it's also hilarious.
2: Yeah, 100% agree. This is fantastic. This is what should happen. I want to see this. Uh, I I wouldn't even want them to correct this. This is just if you're going to take that time and then step back into the box, you better be ready to go right away because the pitcher can throw it to you uh, right away there. So just go ahead and do it. So uh, 10 out of 10, no notes, love it.
0: I I'm just curious to see how many other tinkerings of the rule that we have because it, and it's always guys like Scherzer too, right? Who are kind of dicks about it, but you kind of need it to happen. Right. Like to your yeah. point again
1: is totally a dick move, but it needed to be done. To point to out happen. The I, I do think you'll start to see hitters sort of adjust by, uh, if a pitcher is sitting back and clearly not about to pitch, like do a little reset, relax in the box and everybody will get ready to go quicker. I think like, Um, not the worst thing in the world, because uh, frankly, I find all of the reset nonsense, mostly superstition. I doubt it actually helps that much. It, that the adherence to routine, this is, this is make your bed in the morning crap, and it is not necessarily actually that (laughs) helpful. You, you, you can make a routine a lot of different ways. So, uh, everybody will figure it out and the rule should absolutely be abused this way as, as long as it works, push that puppy. And that's why I don't
0: make my bed in the morning because it's crap. There we go. All right. Uh, Brad Westness asking our next question this week, uh, saying, I asked semi-facetiously on Twitter, but interested to know how the rest of the fellas feel. Do you think the pitch clock or stepping out of the box restrictions are going to significantly hurt the effectiveness of guys like Brent Souter, who relied so much on going faster than hitters expected? This is an interesting question, mm-hmm. I guess. I hadn't pondered. I would wager going to Coors Field hurts
1: sprint sooner more than
0: the pitch clock, but Paul (laughs) will never be able to
1: tell. Yeah, Uh, I actually do think it probably hurts him a little bit. I was, I was actually just thinking, I wonder how like Sheets and like Mark Burley would do in this new area, And, and I do feel like they that is a little bit of a novelty that does throw people off, like you are used to having plenty of time between pitches. And against those guys, you don't and it is a different experience than the norm. And now it will become the norm, like the enforced norm. So yeah, I do think it will hurt people will get in rhythm against faster pitchers. And it it not being a novelty will mean there's more practice against it. So yeah, uh, I think the guys that were naturally fast are going to suffer a little bit, which isn't really fair, because it's not their fault. But, uh, you know, such is life and don't go to Colorado if you don't want to be hurt, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I do think it'll hurt. I, I really do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that this is, I don't know, like it it will probably uh, lessen his effectiveness just because hitters are going to be more used to seeing it. It's fair.
0: Sure, but also like the, the quick pitching thing was not the only thing that made right. Brett Suter effective, but right? It's not the like, only thing, no. It's but, just a few. It was in his bag of tricks as a guy throwing like 85 miles an hour as a lefty, right? Like mm-hmm. you yeah. still got the goopy delivery and, and all of that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it is one less tool in the toolbox if everybody's operating on, under that. Um, All right, next question this week comes from Lucroy's suitcase asking, I know Mark Adonazio is the main owner of the Brewers, but do we know who some of the minor owners are other than Uh, Yannis? How much do they dictate decision making? And should we be blaming Giannis for the Corbin Bird's debacle? <laughs> uh, so, a little tongue in cheek there, but of course, mm-hmm. you know Giannis joined the ownership group. What was that last year, the year before? Mm-hmm. So they made a big deal out of that. Out of that, uh, Giannis proved to be good luck. Uh, but I guess Ryan, we did some research, mm-hmm. conducted our or contacted our other sources on this one. So, what what do you got?
2: So, a couple different things here. Uh, first off, answering his actual question here, which is do we know who some of the minority owners are? We do, thanks to a friend of the podcast, J.R. Radcliffe. He wrote last year when Giannis joined the ownership group, or I guess it was 2021, 20, uh, that, um, and this is a direct quote from the article. The Brewers don't make a full list of minority investors publicly available, but one of them is Harris Truer, who's also the principal owner of the Milwaukee Admirals hockey team and has been involved in the Brewers' ownership since 1996. Uh, Truer is the grandson of Master Lock founder um, Harry Soroff and a Milwaukee native. Um, the Milwaukee Business Journal has also reported that members of the Lubar, Marcus, and Uline families are also in part of the ownership uh, team as well. So those are some names, if that means anything to you. Some of those names are familiar and uh, some less uh, <laughs> less uh, savory than others, in my opinion, <laughs> but we am not going to get into that. Um, but uh, also wanted to bring up something that uh, that Andy Schaff uh, brought up years ago and called our attention to. And um, I was able to find this article from the New York Times that he pointed me to in um, 2011. We were able to, to dig it up. And it was a profile of Mark Atanasio, and this is what the quote was from that time. Atanasio owns more than twice the percentage of any other brewer's investor and has full decision-making authority, but he still owns less than half the team, about 38%, he said. So Atanasio, at and this is not uncommon. I actually I can't remember where it was. It was another team that just came up this week where another ownership group is the same situation. The, the principal owner, the guy that everybody talks about as the owner, owns less than half the team, but because of the way it's split up elsewhere, he has the, the controlling interest. So... It is worth remembering that this is a you know it's sort of a fractured ownership group in terms of uh, whatever, and that Atanasio's control of it. And by the way, I did look up his most recent reported net worth was seven hundred million. So yep. not a billionaire for whatever that's worth, um, <laughs> which I, I don't know what that is worth actually. But only seven hundred million. Only seven hundred million. Yes, but he is uh, he is not the. Uh, only person who is uh, has to be kept happy here by whatever decisions are being made, that he is making decisions that have to keep these other uh, smaller minority owners, and everybody is less than half of 38%. So nobody else owns, what would that be, more than, um, wow, my math, (laughs) 19%. Nobody nobody owns 20% or more. Yeah. So everybody else is is down below that. But we don't know how much pull and the internal politicking that goes on within this. And this was something that Jonathan Judge speculated a few years ago now. Right, Paul, that uh, he thought that one of the reasons that teams were so loath to spend money was the fact that the value of teams was getting so high that that meant you had to have larger and larger investor groups and keeping minority owners happy meant being more profitable. And that That's they were right, more yeah. interested in profit than they were necessarily winning. Uh,
1: and I, I can't speak to how much Jonathan knows or uh, any specifics, but he he has mentioned publicly at least a few times that mm-hmm. there are I- in most ownership groups agreements to pay uh, limited partners in the ownership group uh, a set um, share of profits or fee or something um, every year as part of their initial investment agreement. So there is some level of money that uh, has to be kicked out to those people. Uh, now, I, I do want to say, having some knowledge of business ownership myself, that there's not really a reason that you have to make deals like that to buy a baseball team. And um, w- with me not knowing anything about the innards, inner, inner workings of baseball either, it seems like a way just to funnel cash to people um, and claim that you absolutely have to pay it. There are lots of ways to legitimately borrow money where you don't have to do that at and including borrow a lot of money. But you know, is what it is. And that that is what we've been told and is probably the case. And if you make an agreement to pay person X a part of the profits, then you gotta do it. That's the law.
0: All right. Well following up on the on ownership talk, uh, we wanted to follow up on uh Conversation we had the other week about Euless Payne, Uh, we have, uh, you know, a comment from Steve DeRozier here. And uh, Ryan, you wanted to kind of address the Euless Payne thing that we talked about the other week a little bit more.
2: Yeah, it generated some discussion. Um, Listener Ezenark brought up that uh, uh, the situation with him was a little bit... uh, Maybe not as dicey as I was talking about. So I, I went and did some digging and, and looked back. And there's a, a good on Milwaukee.com article about this from uh, 2004 where they the title of it is. And I can put this in the, the show notes uh, title of it is uh, did you Payne get the last laugh? And in it, they sort of talk about like how his time with the Brewers ended, which was basically um, pain ended up leaving the Brewers' uh, management group when he went public with the team's plans to cut payroll to the lowest in the major leagues. And that was being done. I don't know if it had been announced yet at that point because they don't mention that in here. That was done so the C-Leagues could sell the team. It's actually pretty standard. Um, They're fairly common when teams get sold that they trim payroll and gut it to like the lowest possible amount um, for the sake of selling, or at least it was back then. So... Um, that's what they were doing, and that's how that all sort of played out. But uh, he was he basically left at that point when he went public with the team's plans, and the team did not appreciate that he was pointing out that they were uh, gonna gut their payroll. So that was sort of how that came to an end. So Steve shared this with us. Um, he said, Just finished listening to this week's podcast, Elias Payne Jr., um, and he just has a a memory to share about it. After the 2002 season he held a season ticket holder only meeting at Miller Park. We were all clustered in the seats behind home plate and he stood um, on the field in front of us with an assistant that was taking notes. He asked us what we could do to make the stadium experience better. He listened asked follow-up questions. I raised my hand and suggested that they bring back the organ. He asked the group if they agreed and pretty much everyone said yes. He said done. The organ will be back for next year and was a great meeting and it was obvious he was interested in listening to the fans, and it wasn't just lip service. Uh, I felt that that was a bit of a turning point for me. Of course, with the new stadium, with the Brewers moving in the right direction, and all of that. So, yeah, I thought that was that's good. It seems like the sort of thing they could really use right now. Uh, no kidding, a, an yeah. easy win like that, where you just go, Seriously. okay, here's the thing that you know, like, won't even cost us that much money, and it's just something people want, and you can just say okay done we're doing this and you can win over some of your most uh loyal customers and the, the people that are most invested uh it seems like the kind of thing that you could really uh, <laughs> use right now
1: they should figure out a way to get like a uh, a portable or temporary mug at the bottom of the slide like, they don't have to do it all the time, <laughs> but they should bring it back once in a while. I, I assume that's difficult, but it, it's modern times. Surely it's riggable.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. And
2: <laughs> you do something.
1: Yeah. And still slap the sponsor
0: logo on it. So you don't even have to lose that. So, yeah, it, it just seems like they could use somebody like that. And like we had talked about the other week, you know, it, it feels like. You know that era of brewers history obviously not remembered fondly and ulis Payne seems to be the the guy that they kind of put out there to to take the brunt of that and that seems unfortunate based on what we learned over the years so I uh, just wanted to put a bow on that conversation too all right our last patreon question this week comes from mc sham asking a question for each of us stolen from the joe poznansky podcast Let's say your overall fandom has 100 points. How would you allocate those those points across all the teams you support, college and pro? Uh,
2: Paul, <laughs> let's start with
0: you because I feel like Ryan's got to do yeah. some math on European soccer clubs and stuff. So yours Probably might deal. be a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I think I'm like 40 Packers and like 35 Brewers, so that gets me to 75 right away. And then I'm like 10 on the Badger football team. Uh, So it gets me 85. Then I think I'm like five on the basketball team and five on the bucks. Um, I think that gets me to 95. And then I have 5 on just like miscellaneous weird crap. Like if the (laughs) the winter Olympic curling is happening, that gets it. Um, Stuff like that. Uh, Random big time sporting events of an indeterminate nature. Um, I'm a fan of that, but that's, that's kind of how I break it down.
2: Yeah. um, Mine's a little bit, different than that. I think I kind of looked at it like, what do I spend my time on? Uh, And also not just like, am I more likely to like be looking stuff up about this outside of how much time do I spend reading about this or listening to podcasts about it as opposed to like actually just watching the the games? Because at this point, honestly, so when I started doing that, I'm like, wow, I, my, my fandom has changed quite a bit. I'm still, I put brewers at 51% because, baseball and the brewers are still like the lion's share of everything there yeah but i have liverpool now at 25 percent, which actually kind of surprised me but i do i spend so much time listening to podcasts about them and about soccer in general i'm like yeah that actually has really risen up the list to this point so liverpool at 25 percent. badger football um badger basketball packers all kind of about the equal equal standing. Um, I will watch them. I don't know how much time I will spend invested outside of it. I listen to obviously recording is eligible. so reporting is eligible I listen to um, <laughs> and like a few other things, but not as much investment, especially in f- football is has started to leave a bad taste in my mouth lately. so I just that one, um, and basketball also to it like Badger basketball. This has been a rough season for them. <laughs> it is a tough possible watch. to watch. I would, also, yeah. I would throw yeah. one point to
1: Badger hockey, which I used to love, mm-hmm. but has been just just awful triples. for like a decade now. And, yeah. Uh, and
2: they, really weirdly, too, because they hired a, an NHL coach and it should be going better than it has they been. had
0: one good year and yeah. then everybody got drafted and then they sucked again yep.
2: yeah i don't quite know what the, the issue is there yeah actually my first tickets that i owned i'd shared season tickets uh for the friday series at the coliseum back in high school and me and some oh, friends wow. split a friday series and so that like those were the first tickets that I owned myself, but like I grew up, I I grew up in Madison and grew up going to Badger games from the time I was like six years old. So Badger football at one point was by far number one on my list. And that's just not, it's not the same anymore. And I also haven't lived there for 20 years. So that's, you know, a little bit different, but uh bucks definitely the lowest and just the NBA generally the lowest. I, oh the nba
1: i like the bucks for me it's more that i'm just not good at basketball and it's like <laughs> i i it's the sport i've played the most that i'm the worst at and so i like i like it i like the bucks i'm glad that when they win but it's just not a sport i can sort of relate to being good at and just rent like i i was i've been five ten since i was like 12 years old so i played center when i was 12 years old oh, and then i never hmm. got taller and you know <laughs> now now i'm relatively short and can't shoot from outside and can't post up much larger people so um yeah try not to try not to be too tall too fast it's not good yeah yeah
0: Yeah. i was always a a basketball kid kind of growing up part of that was i didn't have cable and i couldn't watch the brewers so uh you know it was it was a lot of uh college basketball badgers basketball especially for me uh and you know the bucks have definitely grown in the last few years winning helps that uh but also just you know having good likable people on a team and a consistent team year to year instead of just a run of retreads every year you know so i'd say maybe that's up to maybe 10 or 15 percent i really like playoff basketball because you know stakes always makes things better so playoff basketball march madness has always been my thing but i'd still put the brewers at probably 50% or more and then yeah right I'm with you like Packers fandom has kind of waned. not only just because I'm annoyed with the quarterback but also because uh you know just the the head injury stuff and it's tough Mm -hmm. to kind of reconcile that but uh yeah I still like to go to Camp Randall so it I guess my mix is probably a little bit similar just a little bit more basketball for me but that's just kind of what I grew up with
2: so I'm hoping to get more involved with Badger football again. The the fickle thing is certainly intriguing. Like everything yeah. so far yeah. has been as I was just talking to my dad about this uh, this weekend. It's certainly intriguing. I, I definitely want to see where this goes. Uh, it seems like he's done everything he possibly can in the short term to get things going and, and uh, heading back in a, a better direction. But we still have to see. So I'm intrigued. That's where I kind of am with them.
0: Yeah. They are uh, definitely promoting around Madison. There's all sorts of billboards about the new era and all that stuff too. Yeah, I don't know about do the rest more, of the state. Yeah,
1: can't do much more recruiting wise than they've done so far. And he's yeah. he's been a good on-field coach, so it's a good recipe so far. Interested to see how they compete against the big boys, especially when the conferences go away next year, not this year. <laughs> right yeah so that's definitely exciting
0: too the divisions go away i should say yeah the divisions go away uh conferences will go away soon enough too They will (laughs) matter time all right uh that'll do it for the patreon questions this week a lot of good ones i had a fun uh with this one especially a reminder uh go to patreon.com mke tailgate two bucks a month guarantees that your question or or topic gets talked about here so uh definitely go take advantage of that and uh remember that five dollar level as well gets you that minor league extra uh podcast so you'll see uh ryan and james anderson's brewers top tens as we head into the season as well uh before we go this week also just a reminder as always please leave a review and a rating for this podcast over on apple podcasts uh paul will read literally anything you put in the Uh, review there uh, if you give us five
1: stars somebody go give us a five-star review because home base guy's still at the top and uh i i need we do better please than that do better (laughs) this will be like
0: when the pj fleck one was on there for a few weeks in a row we just had to get that (laughs) off of there yes all right uh and while you're there please do hit that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, spotify pocket casts or wherever else you get your podcasts It'll, uh, you know, help other people find the podcast. It'll move us up the rankings. Tell your friends about us, especially as we get into baseball season two. Uh, I'm starting to post some of these clips of the podcast on YouTube, too. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, uh, go check that out. Look for Milwaukee's St- MKE tailgate on YouTube. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're expanding. We're everywhere. So <laughs> plenty of ways to listen to us, especially as we get closer to the start of the season here. Definitely appreciate it. Um, and uh, hope you all have a good week. And we will see you here, see you here next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Have a